Hey everybody, it's Mike. Welcome or welcome back to the Revision Church Podcast. While you're here, make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download the Revision app, which is actually the best way to get access to new content and share it with friends. You can get the app by texting Revision App to 77977. Thanks for listening today. My hope is that this message will be helpful for you and would inspire you to take the next step on your faith journey. Amen. You guys can take a seat. My name is Mike, I'm one of the pastors at Revision. I'm excited to be here today. How about you? All right. So every year in Stockholm, Sweden, five awards are given out, one each for chemistry, physics, medicine, literature, and most famously, peace. The Nobel Prizes are some of the most prestigious awards on earth. And according to the organization, they're given out to those who in the preceding year did the greatest good for mankind. And this is a really noble idea, but the story of how they came about is a little dark. One morning in 1888, a guy named Alfred Nobel woke up, grabbed his newspaper, and read his own obituary. Uh, A reporter had apparently thought he died, and it was a little shocking for Nobel to read the announcement of his premature passing to the world. But the thing that disturbed him most deeply was the headline, The Merchant of Death is Dead. See, Nobel was a chemist and an inventor, and his most famous invention was dynamite. He held the patent for dynamite. He built dynamite factories across the globe. He made millions and millions of dollars and became one of the leading industrialists in the world. But his obituary didn't tell the story of his scientific brilliance or his entrepreneurial gifting. It told the story of a greedy man who got filthy rich by selling people the means to obliterate each other. And eight years later, Alfred Nobel really did die, but his will contained a surprise. Instead of leaving all of his fortune to his family, he funded an institute that would hand out annual prizes to people who did great good for mankind. And the inspiration for that idea? The premature obituary. Alfred Nobel got a picture of his future and he regretted what he saw. And so in response to the regrets that he already had and in anticipation of the regrets that were going to come if he kept heading in the same direction, Alfred Nobel changed course. He decided that his regrets would not get to write the final chapter of his story, The Merchant of Death is Dead, but instead they'd just be the first sentence of his next chapter. As I think about his story, I wonder what it would be like for all of us to get a preview of our obituary or even like a sneak peek of what people are going to say about us at our funerals. And not from the stage where everyone will mostly pretend we're the greatest human that ever lived and they're so sad that we're gone, but like what our neighbors and family members and coworkers are going to say in the car on the way to the funeral, like that stuff. And I imagine there'd be some stuff that would make us proud, but also some stuff that would cause regret to well up inside our souls over things we've done, things we should have done but didn't, things that happened to us. It's sobering to attempt to anticipate our regrets and to think about the ones we're already carrying, but it makes a difference. We spent the last three weeks talking about how to get a fresh start in 2023 by looking back so that we can move forward. Because the truth is, if we're not careful, we will carry the pain of our past into the future with us. It's really easy to allow our regrets over our worst moments and greatest mistakes to cause our lives to become something like a clothes dryer where we just ruminate. We think about them over and over and over again and we keep ending up in the same exact place. But what we've been talking about 
over the course of this series is how God wants to set us free from this cycle of endless emptiness where regret fuels longing in our souls and we attempt to medicate that longing by, by doing the things the world tells us will fill up that hole, which leaves us with regret, which leaves us with longing, and then we're just endlessly there. God wants to set us free from that cycle of endless emptiness to the beauty and the purpose and the meaning and the life that can be found in a fresh start. But the catch is the way God does this is completely different than the way our world does it. Because we live in a society where there are endless options for just faking a fresh start. You can change your name. You can change your job. You can change where you live. You can change the way you look. And then just kind of paper over the cracks of your past and pretend you're a completely new, different person. There's a problem with that, though. You're not, and papering over the cracks is a temporary solution that eventually fails every single time. I promise, I've seen it. In college, I spent a couple years living in a frat house, which was, anyways, uh, one time I was playing darts in there, and I didn't want to stand up when it was my turn to throw, so I just threw a dart from the couch, and not surprisingly, I missed the board by like six inches. Very surprisingly, my dart went through the wall. I mean, like, through the wall. And I know some of you are looking at me right now thinking, I'm not surprised. Look at those guns. I mean, of course you could chuck a plastic tip dart through some drywall, Mike. I bet, you could, I bet you could throw a football over some mountains, sling a pigskin a quarter mile. And I'd like to believe that much like Uncle Rico, I could. But I assure you, that was not the case. I just threw this dart and there was a hole where it went through and all of us looked at each other like, what happened? And when I say a hole, I mean, we started to peel back the wallpaper around this little hole, and what we ended up with was a crater 18 inches stud to stud wide and four feet tall. I don't know whether somebody didn't want to get fined and so they never told the truth about this, whether they didn't want to buy drywall or whether they were just lazy, but at some point, somebody crashed through that wall and then decided best case scenario is just put some paper over it. And they painstakingly wallpapered over a giant hole in the wall, not to fix it, just to cover it up for a little while. And it worked right up until it didn't. And you guys, I think that's actually a really powerful picture of the way so many people in our world and so many of us treat the biggest mistakes in our stories. We just know they're there, but hope no one else finds out. So we bury them in a deep, dark corner in the basement of our souls. But the problem is, regrets are a lot like gremlins. They're dangerous in the dark, and the sunlight kills them. And so if we're going to live a life beyond our worst moments, if we're going to step into the future God has for us, we have to reckon with our regrets by dragging them, kicking and screaming out into the light. And I know that's a scary thing to do. But I promise you, no matter who you are, where you've been, what you've done, or what's been done to you, God wants to turn your scars into your story and your tears into your testimony. That's what he did for Paul. It's easy for us, like, with the benefit of history, to look back and be like, Paul's the greatest Christian that ever lived. Paul wrote a huge chunk of the New Testament. And all that's true, but he had a messed up story before he ever got to that point. The kind of story only God could redeem. Like, Paul had a hit list that would make Al Capone blush, all right? He was an incredibly brilliant intellectual, but he was also arrogant, and he was willing to use violence to suppress those who disagreed with him, specifically Christians. 
Paul was a member of the Pharisees, this elite Jewish religious group, and he hated from the bottom of his soul this new movement called Christianity. He made it his life's mission to eradicate it from planet Earth. The first time we read about Paul is in Acts 7, where Stephen, one of the, early, or one of the leaders of the early church, had been arrested and brought before the Jewish religious authorities. And he gave this incredibly powerful gospel presentation. But they were so furious that someone would dare to declare that Jesus is who Jesus said he was, that they're like, that guy has to die. And who oversaw the murder? Paul. He rounded up a mob of people to throw giant rocks at Stephen until Stephen was dead, becoming the first Christian in history who was martyred for their faith. Paul was the first Christian killer. But Stephen wasn't the last Christian he killed. He actually began to lead a team of folks that hunted Christians, not just in Jerusalem, but in the surrounding areas. And it didn't matter, men, women, or children, if he suspected that they were Christ followers, he would drag them out of their homes, imprison them, and often kill them. Until one day, him and the team were headed to the city of Damascus to go hunt Christians, and God showed up on the road. He crashed into the living Jesus Christ, and it changed absolutely everything for him. He surrendered his life and his future. He put his faith in what Jesus had accomplished through his death and resurrection, and he made it his new life's mission to tell the world this good news. It's crazy to think that, that Jesus in an instant completely rerouted Paul's life, but he did. And you'd be tempted to think, since he was now kind of going about trying to convince people to become Christians, he wouldn't really share a lot about the whole season of his life where he was killing them, right? Like if I was going, trying to tell people like, hey, here's the goodness of Jesus, you should, you should become a Christian. And those people knew that I used to stab Christians, I might not mention that part of my history, you know, in case they might think I was tricking them and they're about to get knife wounds, right? It makes a lot of sense to just bury that painful part of his past, but Paul did the exact opposite thing. Instead of hiding who he'd been, he told his story in all of its awful, gruesome detail repeatedly. We read about him openly admitting his worst moments in Acts 22, Acts 26, 1 Corinthians 15, Galatians 1, Ephesians 3 on repeat. Because Paul realized that if he hid the pain of his past, everyone wouldn't be able to see what an incredible work God had done in him. And he was like, look, if God could do this for me, if Jesus Christ could step into my life and give me a fresh start and hand me a new story, then he can do it for anyone. And I, I got to tell him the truth about that. And I love the way he says it in 1 Corinthians 15. And so if you have a Bible or a Bible with you this morning, you can crack it open to 1 Corinthians 15. If you don't have one, you can follow along on the screen or in the Revision app. And if you need one or your kids need one, we have them in a bunch of different colors for a bunch of different ages at the Next Steps table. They're free. They're a gift to you. We've got reading plans back there. Please take one before you leave today. This is what Paul writes about his own story and his own life. In 1 Corinthians 15, 9, he says, for I am the least of the apostles and did not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without results. I was, but I am. Like I, I was that, but by the grace of God, now I am. Like right here, Paul is an example. 
He's a fractal. He's this never-ending, repeated pattern for everyone who would follow after him of what it looks like to find redemption in God. And he's our example here in a way that Jesus really isn't our example. Because bear with me, Jesus never had to become a Christian. Jesus was eternally God and lived a perfect life. And I'm really grateful for that. But the rest of us have a whole lot more bumps and bruises in our stories. We have to become Christians. We have to step out of the brokenness of our past into the lives God has for us. And we are carrying regret with us, just like Paul was, over things we've done, things we haven't done, things that have been done to us. We desperately wish we could hop in a time machine, go back and erase from our stories. And so 1 Corinthians 15 is this megaphone shouting to us from the pages of scripture, your past doesn't define your future who you've been doesn't determine who you're going to be. Who you were doesn't get to limit who you can become. That's a radically countercultural, counterintuitive idea. It is, because we live in a society where like, our am is directly connected to our was, or there's no pathway for redeeming our was into a completely different am. And so our past becomes a lid on our lives. Our regrets become the walls that hold us in and shrink our purpose. And the only option available to us in this world is to just fake it, to pretend our past isn't our past, to paper over the cracks and hope nobody ever finds out, even though deep down in our souls, we know the truth. But what Paul's telling us here is that's not the recipe for living the life God dreamed you up, knit you together, and placed you right where you are to live. That's not the pathway to find the freedom and the purpose and the meaning and the hope that he wants to hand to you. There's a different way where our past is a part of our story that informs our present, but doesn't deform our present. Because our was doesn't have to be connected to our is. In other words, who you are doesn't have to be built on the foundation of who you were. It can be built on something else entirely. And so the question, I think, for all of us who live in a world full of hurt and pain, for all of us who've made mistakes, is how do I do that? How, How do I build a life that isn't defined by my worst moments and my greatest mistakes? What does that even look like? And the answer is found in what lies between I was And I am, for Paul, the grace of God. He says, I was a murderer. I don't deserve to be a leader. I don't deserve to be in the inner circle of any of this because I I was somebody who ruined the church, who hurt the church, who violently killed people who disagreed with me. But by the grace of God, now I am. Because grace is a game changer. In an instant, it completely rerouted Paul's life because he realized that God loved him despite his fears and faults and failures. He went from being this religious guy who believed, hey, the only way to be good with God, the only way to to be accepted by God, the only way God's gonna love me is if I check all the right boxes and I avoid all the wrong boxes, I somehow have to earn my way between where I am and where he is to being a guy who realized, A, I couldn't possibly do that. B, I haven't been doing it as good as I've been thinking I was doing it or hoping other people were doing it. And C, God loves me anyway because grace Paul realized he was forgiven not because he deserved to be, but because Jesus had paid the full price for his sins on the cross. And as that grace washed over him, 
He was ruined for doing anything other than spending every breath he had left on planet Earth sharing the good news with other people that if God could do this for me, he can absolutely do it for you. He wants to give you the freedom of a fresh start. He is waiting and willing to hand you a life beyond your regrets. The crazy thing is Paul's conversion happened like so quickly and so instantaneously, the church did not believe it. Like God showed up to this guy named Ananias. He's like, hey, Ananias, Paul's in town. He's actually praying right now and uh, I need you to go see him. I, uh, I met him on the road to Damascus and I told him he needs to put his faith in me and I, I, I rerouted his whole life. Also, I blinded him. <laughs> Anyways, I told him you're gonna show up and, uh, and uh, help him see again. And Ananias responded the same way I would have. He's like, no. <laughs> Nah, thanks, Lord. I don't know that I want to do that. Do you know who he is? Like, he's here to murder me. And God looked at him and I said, oh, no, 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 no. That's who he was. I'm writing a better story from him from this day forward. And who he is has absolutely nothing to do with who he was. And so Ananias shows up kind of timidly, and he prays for Paul, and these scales fall out of his eyes, and Paul can see again. And the very first thing Paul does is get baptized. He shows up, he stands in the public square knowing that it could cost him his life because that team of dudes he was leading who murdered Christians, they were still there with him in Damascus. But he says, this matters so much. My life has been so radically redeemed that I will stand in the public square and declare that God's grace is bigger than my regrets. God's redemption is bigger than my regrets. God's forgiveness is bigger than my regrets. God's grace is bigger than my brokenness. My past belonged to my pain, but my future belongs to my savior. And this is so cool, you guys, because baptism for Paul isn't a denial of who he'd been or what he'd done. It's a burial of who he'd been and what he'd done so he can step into the new life God has for him. It was a way of recognizing and releasing his regrets so God could redeem him. And it'd be easy to sit here and pretend that's a really easy thing to do. Like, oh yeah, who couldn't? That's simple. But we all know that's not true. It's vulnerable to admit our worst mistakes. It's painful sometimes to look back at the stuff we wish wasn't a part of our story. But the short-term pain is worth the long-term freedom. Like baptism for Paul was a way of releasing this white knuckle grip he had on his mistakes, on his fears, on his faults and his failures. It was a way of him actually believing that his was and his am were no longer connected, that there isn't a through line that needed to be drawn. It was Paul's way of saying, hey, my fears, faults and failures are not a finish line. They're just the starting line for starting over. And baptism is the same thing for us. It allows us to decide our fears, faults, and failures are not the finish line. They're just the starting line for starting over. And we got a baptism service coming up on February 19th. I would love for you to be a part of that. If you're ready to step into the freedom of a fresh start, if you're ready to stand in the public square and declare my life is no longer defined by what I have done or what's been done to me because it's built on what Jesus did for me, then check a box on your connection card, get some more info, no strings attached. We'd love for you to be a part of that. It's gonna be an amazing day. But for all of us, Like no matter where you're at on your faith journey this morning, whether you are skeptical, 
whether you've been walking with Jesus for a short time or for most of your life, I want to invite you today to allow God to do a new thing in your soul. I want to invite you today to actually get a fresh start in 2023 by looking back so that you can move forward. Because the truth is, no matter how long you've known the Lord, whether it's weeks or hours or months or years, it's difficult not to look in the mirror and see our failure staring back at us. It's hard for all of us. And for some of us, we've been clinging to it so tightly for so long, it's almost a a part of who we are. We've believed that it defines our identity, that that our was and our am are interconnected for so long that we're afraid to even let it go because we don't know what would happen if we did. It's kind of like men in t-shirts. I know more men who have this problem than than women, but I can guarantee you almost every dude in here has some t-shirts that don't fit anymore because dad bods don't measure the same way they did in our teens and 20s. They got holes in them and stains, but we are not giving them up because they remind us of something, like some season or some part of our past. I counted this week. I got six shirts and one jacket from high school. I haven't worn any of them in the last six years, but they're going nowhere. There's even one that Jenny hates so much, she's threatened repeatedly to throw it away. So it resides in a hidden spot. Just, (laughs) like, I mean, it'd be, it'd be, a little, bit, a little bit snug if I tried to wear it, but I just, I'm keeping the option open in case I need to annoy her someday. You never know how marriage is going to go. It's just, it just is. But seriously, we cling to these things. Like there are old t-shirts and God's like, can you just be free? Can you just let me hand you the life I've been trying to hand you? I want to give you the freedom of a fresh start. Your am and your was don't got to be connected anymore because of what Jesus did for you. And not only... Not only can that reality set you free, it can set other people free as well. Because I'm convinced that part of the reason Paul wrote so frequently and so openly about his huge, awful failures is that he wanted to remind himself he was free. And that the other reason he did it was that he wanted to set other people free too. He understood that if people can see what God did in me, it can liberate them to something new. I read an interview recently with the rapper Lecrae, and he was talking about some of the horrible things that had happened in his past, and even some of the, the brokenness that he'd endured at the hands of the church. People who ought to have treated him the way they treated Jesus, but didn't. And he talked about why he embraces that rather than runs away from it. And it was really profound. He said, our wounds show others that we know a healer. Our wounds show others that we know a healer. I think one of the most mind-blowing, incredible things about the way God works in our stories is that he redeems our brokenness in a way that breathes life into the people around us. Our wounds can become medicine for the people we're crashing into who long to know the healer we know. That's what God's doing for you and for me and for all of us. I mean, the reality of life is this. If you're breathing, you're broken in some way, shape, or form. If you're alive and you're a human, you got regrets, but those regrets don't have to write the last chapter of your story. They can just be the first sentence of your next chapter. They don't have to leave you trapped in the cycle of endless emptiness, of of regretting and longing and medicating and regretting. 
they can be a building block. That's a part of your story, but it isn't the big idea. And it isn't the major theme or the defining moment or the last chapter. It's just a thing God uses, both to show you and to show the people around you how powerful and transformational his love really is. And so here's my invitation as we, as we go today. Look back so you can actually move forward. Be honest about the things in your life you've done you wish you hadn't, the things you haven't done you wish you had, and the things that have happened to you you wish you could take an eraser to. Recognize your regrets, then release them to God. Allow him to take them and redeem them, not by papering over them, not by erasing them, not by pretending they don't exist, but by redeeming them in a way that turns your scars into your story and your tears into your testimony. Because as you do that, he will set you free and he'll point the people around you toward his love as well. Like, it's the way forward toward freedom. It's the way forward toward beauty. But I, I want to be honest about it too. It's not a one-time decision. Like in this shattered space we inhabit called earth, moving past our past isn't a decision we can make at one point and then we're past it. Because there are more bumps and twists and turns in the road ahead. This is a, a daily, weekly, hourly decision to trust God with our worst moments, to believe that he really does redeem them so that we can say like Paul, I was, but by the grace of God, I am. If you do that, if you'll recognize release and allow God to redeem your regrets, you can live a life beyond them. But if you don't, if we won't look back, if, if we refuse to do this, I think we will end up in the place Alfred Nobel almost ended up with our regrets writing the final chapter of our obituary. But if we do, as we do, we will find not only freedom and beauty, but we'll find the ability to speak and breathe life into a world that is desperately longing to breathe the oxygen of God's love. You guys, those words, I was, but by God's grace, I am, those words will change the world. One inch and one life at a time, if you will dare to live them and tell them. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you. Thank you that we are not what we were. Thank you that you don't leave our stories bent, bruised, and broken. Thank you for being a God of redemption, and a God of freedom, a God who stepped into the brokenness of the human story and gave your life so that we could be forgiven and set free. Lord, all of us walked in here this morning with parts of our stories we wish were not a part of our stories, with things that have happened we wish we could go back and take an eraser or two, but thank you for being a God who redeems those things in us. Thank you for being a God who loves us so much and so powerfully that you stepped into the human story in a way that means our fierce faults and failures are not our finish line. They're just the starting line of starting over. Lord, would you help us be and become the people you dreamed us up to be so that we can experience the fullness and the beauty of life in connection with you, of life lived in your love, and so that we can walk out into a dark, hurting, shattered world desperate to know you and live lives that point them toward your beauty, your redemption, and your love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.